This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Radio America. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Alex Bartholomus, People Stretch Solutions, and Bill Buff, Straticom. Uh, Mark, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please? Yes, Herb. Today we have Nini Spivey, Executive Director of the Children's Science Center, Grant Elliott, Founder and CEO of Estendio, Connie Hamill, Principal of KWC Advisory Services, and Ed Weidenfeld, Chairman and Founder of District Cannabis. Excellent. Let's get to know our first guest, Nini Spivey, who is the Executive Director of Children's Science Center. Nini, what is Children's Science Center? What are you guys doing? We are getting kids really excited about learning, especially in the STEM area, science, technology, engineering, and math. We have an interactive museum that serves over 70,000 people a year, 50,000 people at our small museum site, and another 20 to 25,000 all across our region. Wow. Where where were you from originally? I was born in Vienna, Austria. And uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have two half-siblings that are about 13 and 17 years younger than me. Two half-siblings. And how come you have half-siblings? Well, my parents split when I was a toddler. And How young? Uh, how young a toddler? Uh, about three. Uh-huh. So you're about three years old when mom and dad uh, got divorced? Yes. And, well, actually, mom uh, left Europe abruptly, and uh, and we came to the States to live with my grandparents. So you're about three years old, and you leave uh, Austria with your mom to come live with your grandparents. And I only speak German. Uh-huh. What did that do to you? What did that, ex- what did that experience, how did that shape you? Oh, you know, I, I think being uh, from another country and speaking another language and having a strange name does a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, what? It's challenging to... Uh, I think integrate into you know your your school setting when you are a bit different and growing up in the South. Uh, so you, you have to work a little harder. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's anything to do with the fact that you're running a children's museum where you're seeing seventy thousand kids a year, trying to help them, uh, you know, appreciate who they really are and what they're really all about and what they what they can be exposed to? Yeah, I think I I have an empathy for um, for all children having. I found it a little bit challenging during mm-hmm. my childhood years. Didn't you actually tell us when you were a kid you, you felt like you had to become your own person or something like that? What was that all about? Yeah, I, I really feel like I had, I, I felt like I had to to grow up quickly and take charge of my life early. Um, Mom had some struggles and um, sing, being a single parent. How old were you when, when you came to that conclusion? Can, can you remember, recall that? Yeah, I, I, I'm usually terrible with childhood memories, but I remember so distinctly, I was eight years old, sitting at the kitchen table thinking, I'm gonna have to take care of myself. I'm gonna have to get a job where I can make enough money to take care of myself. I cannot depend on anyone else for that. 
Mm-hmm. And so that, how did that translate into your activities and or school in the coming years? School was, at least the academic part of school, was, was a highlight for me. I, I really felt um, confident in being a student and working really hard and, and getting good results. You were also discouraged from pursuing science, technology, engineering, and math, right? Yes, yes. Um, I, I, being rather economically minded as I was growing up and wanting to make enough money to take care of myself, um, I sort of latched onto this idea that, wow, engineering is great. Four years, you're out, you're making good money, uh, this is going to work. And my mom thought that was a terrible idea for a woman to go into engineering, that it's a difficult field for women women and she encouraged me to really think about teaching or nursing at the time i will add that she has completely changed her mind (laughs) (laughs) did you uh pursue it anyway Uh, oh yes yes i i felt like i had plenty of evidence that i you know had the strength academically to go after it i had a really great experience when i was probably you know nine years old and got involved in a really cool hands-on program where we were building things and making things and I can do engineering. Why not? Mm-hmm. Mark? So you, uh, at the tail end, you ended up getting an industrial engineering degree and an MBA. Sometime between ages of eight and now, when did you sort of realize, okay, I, I've got this. I'm, I'm on the path. Yeah, I, um, I, for some reason, I felt really empowered from age eight. Like, I just sort of kept running with it. Um, all the way through, at least, you know, the academic side of it. And so I, I think that was um, important that yeah. I just kept so, the pedal to the metal. But, but at some point in time, you know, you got involved with the world of nonprofit as opposed to the world of making a ton of money. What, what happened there? <laughs> yeah, I sort of deviated from that plan of eight years old child. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I really, I recognized after a decade and in the for-profit sector and technology and telecommunications, I, I just did not see what difference, what material difference I was making in anyone's life on any given day. So more important than putting dollars in your own pocket was what? Making an impact on human lives. How does the um, how does the Children's Science Center make a difference on human li- make a difference in human lives? I think in terms of affecting the lives of children on a very large scale, the opportunity, what we're doing now in building a much larger science center and knowing that we'll be serving hundreds of thousands of children and generations of them, I can't think of a more fundamental way, a fu- fundamental way for me, a more meaningful, a way. more meaningful way for me um, uh-huh. to ensure that I make the broadest possible impact on so these you're young like, you're generations. So like you're like the master mother, aren't you? I do feel like I've got a lot of babies. Do you, <laughs> do you ever? Do you ever? I mean, you know, I'm sure you have a fancy, dancy office. Do you ever walk through the museum and watch the uh, and, and watch the kids? Oh, I like that fancy office concept. Um, I've got the best donated furniture in my office in uh-huh. all of Nova. I'm sure, but um, yeah, walking through as uh, the museum is is a wonderful experience every day because you always see a child or a grandparent with a child or teachers with their students and you know wow. watching the the eyes light up and the squeals wow. i mean science is really really fun talking about teachers or or grandparents who else had a deep impact on you growing up certainly my extended family my mother's family really took care of me i think they recognized that um we had had a difficult time and and they um 
really nurtured me and, and helped me understand that, you know, I was going to do well in life. Bill? Have you traveled back to Europe and nurtured relationships with the Austrian side of the family? Yeah, yeah. And in, in more recent years, I've uh, had a lot of fun meeting uh, and getting to know all my Austrian cousins and aunts and, and knowing that um, I come from, you know, a, a wonderful group of people that are very friendly and, and very entrepreneurial in their own right. Mm-hmm. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, who, who do you look to for guidance now? Oh, I, f- I feel like there's so many people. Uh, we are blessed with many incredible advisors and board members and supporters, and there's there's so many good ideas out there. Well, where's I, the money come it. from to support the uh, Children's Science Center? Is, is, or do the, do the uh, admissions dues cover the uh, operating expenses? Uh, definitely not. Um, oh, really? <laughs> I, thought the, I thought the ticket prices would cover the, No, it doesn't work that way? Not at all. So where's the money come from? Well, about half of the funds we need to operate come from our earned revenues, and the other mm-hmm. half comes from contributed. So mm-hmm. I always say we have to be really good business people and really good philanthropy people. It's the mm-hmm. ultimate test of uh, a business person. Uh-huh. Is there what? a connection between going back to that moment in time when your mom said you shouldn't go down science and STEM and your desire to prove her wrong and the mission of your organization today? Oh, sure. I mean, I think that you have to change the hearts and minds of a lot of people to open up kids to different opportunities. Uh, you know, it can be the parents that have a lot of influence. It can be the child themselves that doesn't see the potential they have. And so, you know, making it really accessible and open to the public and creating more opportunities for exposure. It's just a huge opportunity to change lives, change pathways. Mm-hmm. So you want to inspire people. Oh, absolutely. So thinking back, who inspired you the most in high school and after? Mm-hmm. Or in grade school, either way. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I I feel that my grandmother was a really important force for me in my life, and she was just incredibly kind person um, and took such good care of me and, and sort of showed me that you can get what you want by being very mm-hmm. nice and very kind. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the website address of this organization known as the Children's Science Center? We're at childsci.org. Let me have that one more time. Childsci.org. Real question. What, what's the best part of your day, Nini? Ooh. I love variety, so I love getting to do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Let me have the website address one last time. Childsci.org. speak with Nini Spivey, Executive Director of Children's Science Center here on Executive News Radio. We will be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is? My name is Nicole Gavala, and I'm a senior account executive at Stratacom, which oh. is a public relations and communications firm. And what's your role there? I'm a senior account executive. What do you mean? What do you do? So I touch a lot of our different clients. Um, I will do anything from run events for them, community outreach. I build third-party partnerships as well. Um, So talking to our clients all the time, getting a feel for what they're doing, and matching them up with people who can help them do that a little bit better. How young were you when when your uh, communication skills began to show up? I had parents that really impressed the importance of speaking for yourself and doing things for yourself. Give us an example. Yeah, so anything from ordering food at a restaurant. How how young were you when you were doing that? Probably four or five years old. What happened? 
you know, my mom was not the one to order for me or return a library book for me or sell my Girl Scout cookies for me. I was really the person, you know, doing that for myself and what, speaking for myself. So what did that do to you? I think it helped me talk to people better and become a good communicator. And, What's that have to do with what you're doing nowadays? Um, well, I talk to my clients and other people every day just to try to keep my finger on the beat and, you know, figure out what they want to do, do and do you how really, we can help. Do you really think your mom and your dad making you uh, speak for yourself as a kid has anything to do with your career nowadays? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of what my parents did for and with me have a lot to do with my career today. Huh. What do you like about what you're doing for you in your gig? I really enjoy that communications is a client-facing business. It gives you the opportunity to help people and also accomplish some really cool goals. What's the website address of this organization, Stratacom? It's stratacom.net. How do you spell that? S-T-R-A-T-A-C-O-M-M.net. And your name again is? Nicole Galvala. And this has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive committee members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So, how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis, or daily basis, or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis, on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Wh what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings, and such. So you're you're well, you're running a twenty-four by seven facility, aren't you? We are. Uh huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, We'd like to introduce Grant Elliott, who's the founder and CEO of an organization known as Astendio. Grant, what is Astendio? What are you guys doing? Sure. Astendio is a cloud based cybersecurity company. We help companies manage their security program. All right. How large or how small is this organization? Uh, we started about four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. We've been growing rapidly since that point. Uh, we're you know, just over 20 people and growing. Cool. And where's the accent from? I'm originally from a town called Paisley in Scotland. And how young were you when you came to the United States? Uh, not so young. Uh, I moved here about 20 years ago, so uh, mm -hmm. I was about 29, 30 at the time. All right. How many brothers and sisters do you have? And where are you in the pecking order? I have uh, two brothers, mm -hmm. uh, one older and uh, one younger, and I have uh, or had a sister. Who, uh -huh. uh, was so a you're the brother. second of four. Correct. And what what did growing up second of four? How that? How are you different than the rest? 
I think from my perspective, being second allowed me to, you know, not be as responsible as my older brother had to be. So. I don't know about that. And, you know, earlier, uh, we got a pretty good sense of who you are. Alex, why don't you take it? <clears throat> what were mom and dad doing when you were growing up? So originally when, um, you know, when I was very, very young, they were taxi drivers so that we were known. And, and at some point round about, I guess, maybe when I was about 10 or 11, they uh, transitioned from being taxi drivers to uh, setting up their own business as a kind of TV uh, rental repair shop. And did you work in that business? Uh, I mean, you know, occasionally I was dragged in. Uh, but my, my older brother was the one that kind of really kind of more embraced that concept of going and helping uh, my father. I was, you know, a reluctant participant at best. Mm-hmm. It sound, oh. In the green room, it sounded like you liked doing the opposite. What were you doing instead? Uh, well, you know, my father used to continually say, or my mother used to continually say to me that I'd be dreaming all the time. So I'd be at school or whatever, just dreaming of, you know, being a superhero or being able to fly or, you know, Steve Austin or whatever. What's that have to do with starting your own business? Dreaming, being a superhero, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I don't think it was that insightful when I was at that age. But I think when you look back on it, you start to realize that, you know, you, you're, you're, you're looking for something bigger and better. You know, you see your day to day and what's going on. And uh, you, you just innately are, not, are questioning that. Uh-huh. You give our primarily American audience a sense of what it was like growing up uh, outside of Glasgow. Uh, it rained a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a reason that Scotland is so green. Um, you know, it was a great environment to grow up. I think the, I think the, the, the culture there is you know, funny, it's friendly. Uh, but, you know, the area I grew up in, I'm sure there's similar areas to this in the U.S., was kind of economically challenged. You know, there wasn't a great deal of opportunity. Uh, there's not the kind of same sort of like, you know, aspirations that people have here in the U.S. So your, your, kind of your view and your outlook of what you're going to potentially achieve in your life is maybe a little bit more limited. And there was an ethos as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's documented well. People talk about, um, you know, West of Scotland work ethic. And I think, you know, there's, you look at some of the great inventors of time, there's a lot of stuff that's come out of Scotland. And I think a lot of that is, comes from, I think, a very similar concept of not being satisfied. Mm-hmm. Mark? When did you first start making money? Well, my first job, uh, which amazingly I managed to keep for a couple of years, was a, a paper round. And, you know, and a paper round in Scotland is a little bit different from here. I mean, you literally walked and, you know, in the rain or whatever. You didn't go on a bike. And you actually deliver the newspaper through the letterbox. You know, you have to go up. You can't just throw it in the driveway. Uh, and I sucked at it. I wasn't very good. I, I didn't like getting up in the morning, and I was always late, and I think I eventually get fired. So you, you, you found out what you didn't like about that job and, and things. What, what did you learn? What, what did you take away from that that was a positive um, you know, I think retrospectively, I look at that was kind of part of the quest of doing something different. I think at that point, you know, when I was at that age and that school, I was an unspectacular student. You know, uh, I didn't necessarily think I was smart. You know, when you have debates and conversations or in general uh, uh, discussions with people, you don't necessarily know that your points any more valid than anyone else, and you just accept other people's perspective. So at that age, I'm not really sure. I just kind of felt that's probably what I was going to have to do, but it didn't satisfy me and so that's where I think the dreaming came. What, what really interested you in school? Was there a particular topic or event or? Yeah and, and I'm not really sure. So I loved math, uh, I loved accounts, uh, I, I loved anything that was practical, right? Anything that was visual, anything that was like, that, that, that was understandable. I wasn't particularly arty or you know theoretical. I mean everything had to be theoretical. And mm-hmm. Alex? But you sent in the green room and you didn't do well in school. You know, I didn't really. I mean, you know, everything's relative. But, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, especially at that particular point, I was more of a f- reflective intellect. You know, I could figure things out 
rather than study and, and regurgitate. So I, I just, you know, the amount of work that I had to go into sort of like learning and memorizing and then doing an exam wasn't something that I realized I was very Grant, good at. Did, didn't you mention that you ran a couple marathons? Yes. Uh-huh. When you're, when you're running a marathon, what are you thinking about? Uh, everything and anything it's the, the freest moment you're going to have when you're running you just you know other than you know you know why am i doing this uh-huh. um, but for the most part it allows you to kind of free any stress any strain and you just uh-huh. you, you just start problem solving what's the similarity between running a marathon and uh, building a business you know it's interesting when i um uh, first set up the business it was actually when i was training to run my first marathon and i actually really aligned the two together and i kind of really felt to myself that if i can't run this marathon under four hours then i can't run a business so that that kind of that that vision of having a, a real uh, thing to strive for a real objective that's really really hard and then just continually going for it and just keep going uh-huh. that's kind of i think what they, they have in common uh-huh. what was your fir- first big accomplishment if you look back because in the green room you said you don't want to fail, and it, you're all about making the big goal. What was the first big goal you accomplished? So I think, you know, again, you know, I left uh, Scotland when I was uh, 20 and went down to London and had various different jobs. And I think what was really surprising for me there was I kept, I found jobs, which was better than Scotland, and, and then people kept promoting me. I kept, because I just had this work ethic and that, that people wanted to do things. Were you surprised they were promoting you? Um, yes, because I didn't feel I was doing anything spectacular. I was just going in and doing my job and being conscious. So how long had you been feeling like you were doing n- nothing spectacular? Uh, I, I think I always felt I was doing nothing spectacular until I did a postgraduate in, uh, at Kingston University. And I came out of that with a distinction. Uh, and that was the first time in my entire life I actually thought, you know, maybe actually I have something here. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, earlier that, uh, you, you, that you were a maverick of sorts. What do you mean by that? Well, I think I've always, as I said earlier on, from being a dreamer as, a, as young, I, I've, I'm always a person that goes into the room and questions things. And, and that can have two sides to it because it can be really annoying. But, um, you, know, you know, when people sort of, let's say, or come in and explain something or try and sell something or, or, or try and make an idea, I'm always the one that's basically saying, well, help me understand that a little bit better. And I get very frustrated if I don't understand things. So I'm always trying to sort of like understand it better. And, and that leads to a lot of problem solving, but it also leads to a lot of difficult conversations. Yeah, that questioning, that questioning authority, is, is that a, an asset in your cybersecurity role helping your clients? Uh, I, I think it would depend who you speak to my organization. I think that, you know, the fact that, that business even exists is based on me questioning the way things are done. So we built an organization to solve a particular problem that I uh, I saw, and, and that's a problem we're, we're, we're actively solving, and, and so that's the asset. Um, obviously, you know, my leadership team, the people in the organization, they get frustrated that I continually challenge and press at the same time. So it's both a, you know, a blessing and a curse. Where, where, where's this, uh, how did your childhood plant the seeds for how you're building this team? I think, you know, from my perspective, you know, my, my parents were very working class. Uh, my, you know, my father was a, you know, as I said, a taxi driver. My mom was probably more remarkable and uh, she was diagnosed with lupus when she was very young. Uh, and so she, you know, did some remarkable things around that. But I think, you know, you know, living in a family of four where there's very specific disciplinary rules, I, you know, that to me didn't always make sense. I just was always, you know, challenging. Why are we doing it that way? Why does it have to be that way? And you know, my father was a little bit more authoritarian. What was your role with your mother's lupus? Uh, more of an observer, um, mm-hmm. and she was very independent. She was very strong. So for me, you know, you, you, you kind of saw that she was definitely the stronger of the two within mm-hmm. the family in terms mm-hmm. of personality. But even though she was the 
clearly the strongest and more intelligent of the two mm -hmm. she was very differential to my father and i think mm -hmm. that was the kind of unbalance that you know i kind of struggled with why would she continue to be deferential when he was most of the time uh -huh. being unreasonable uh-huh mark what are you thinking is there any particular character in literature or movies or quote that do you identify with yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's a number, but there's one specifically that I like. I actually, you know, I have a, a, a plaque up in my wall uh, that talks about this, and it's uh, from A. M. Milne's Winnie the Pooh, and uh, and I'll completely misquote it now, but it's the bump bump quote, which is, uh, you know, here comes Edward Bear coming down, dragged by Christopher Robin, bump 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 in the back of his head. Uh, he thinks there really must be a better way of coming down the stairs if only the bumping would stop for a minute. And and to me, that's life. Life is all about, you know. Uh, you know, how do we find a better way to do things? But, you know, sometimes we don't fix things, you know, because we are too busy doing them. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, you know, how do we stop and pause for a moment to think about a better way to get wow. things done? What, uh, wh what's the website address of this organization known as Astendio? Yeah, so very easy. It's astendio.com, O-S-T-E-N-D-I-O.com. Let me have that one more time. Astendio.com. And how do you spell that? O-S-T-E-N-D-I-O. Com. We've been speaking with Grant Elliott, founder and CEO of Estendio, here on Executive News Radio. Back in a moment, right after this break. Want help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues. Because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, Email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh-huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct. We're the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights of their registration process works. And, and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why, why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, we found that the best way to produce a high quality event is to really know your customer. So we don't believe in numbers, it's names. We get to know each company, we find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally? We do it nationally. We're continuing to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, the company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. Mm -hmm. Next time, I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Ah, so you've been building, you've been building this ever since. What, what do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor, mm -hmm. and I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting! Well, what's the website address for this organization? MedTechConference.org. 
Let me have that one more time. MedTechConference.org. And the name of the organization, again, is? Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Connie Hamill, who's a principal at KWC. Connie, what is KWC and what are you guys doing? KWC is a public accounting firm here in Alexandria, and we offer many of the traditional CPA services as well as a new advisory branch. And how large or how small is this organization? We're about 100 people. We have an office here in Alexandria mm-hmm. as well as an office in Richmond. Alrighty, and uh, where you're from originally, and how many brothers and sisters? I'm from here in Alexandria, mm-hmm. one of the few mm-hmm. uh, in the D.C. area, and I am one of four girls, and I'm second from the top. What uh, What did growing up second oldest do to you of four girls? Well, I would say that all four of us have very distinctly different personalities, and um, you know, my older sister's a pretty free spirit and went to college in the country and never came back, and, and so I found myself kind of doing my own thing and uh, from a pretty pretty early on how are you different than the other three you know, we're all very different and uh-huh. that's actually but something that gets you, commented a lot but how are you so um, different i like order in uh-huh. my chaos uh-huh. you know uh-huh you like order in your how, how does how does your career play into your liking order <laughs> well if you've ever met an accountant you know how we like our order uh, the debits were, and the credits of but it you all. Were, but you were asked to start the advisory services sure. division. Why were you asked to start the advisory services division? It wasn't so much asked as I approached and said this was something I was very interested in, in doing. Um, when I got out of college, I had dual degrees in IT and accounting. And what I found throughout my career is I started in tax and financial. Wait, 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 wait. So your nature, you like organizing the team, don't you? Yes. Okie dokie, <laughs> Alex. So what were mom and dad doing as you were growing up? My mom was a stay-at-home mom, um, and she did, had an art business on the side, and my father is a CPA. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in growing up, what, what were you doing in terms of sports? I played just about every sport I could get my hands on. Um, I played a lot of soccer, basketball, competitive swimming. And, and what role did you have in soccer? I was a midfielder. Okay. And what's important about a midfielder? Kind of... You know, it's the communication line between the front and the back, you know, the offensive and defensive players, keeping everybody together and making sure we're moving in the same Uh direction. And you also had another role in the team, what was it? I was the team captain. Uh Uh-huh. Were you involved with pulling that team together? Well, we kind of, you know, as with most youth sports, we ended up put together in the beginning, but we probably stayed together for six six or seven years with the same coach. So it sounds to me like it has a lot to do with your uh, starting these advisory services. It was basically a team, basically a group of kids back then. And what you did is you took that team and you honed it over the course of time, didn't you? Well, I don't know that I can take full responsibility for that. How long was that team together? Um... Six years is six, what you're yeah, told, five, six, which is a pretty years, extended period like of time. That. Did you have anything to do with that team, keeping those kids together for six years? I mean, we were good friends, you know, and and I think that it, that camaraderie. What's that, what's that camaraderie and being good friends with those kids back then? What's that have to do with how you're building the team now? Well, you look for people with very specific skills. You know, I, I don't believe for a minute that I have the skills to play an entire soccer field, but if I can find the best people to fill in the other spots, I'm going to have a pretty good team. Really? You know, six or seven years. What was the most memorable moment that you can recall? 
honestly, you know, the thing that I took away the most from those years was the lessons learned from our coach. Our coach was not a parent of any person on our team. He has his kids were twice our age, um, but he was a real strong fixture in my childhood. Um, what do you mean? How, how did he influence you? He he was the first person that really made me understand. And this is a direct quote from him: that if you kick the ball in the woods, you got to go get it. Wow. You know, I mean, you can put that wherever you want. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> and how's that? How's that apply to building the business today? In fact, you're doing it, but you're helping, not only are you building a business, you're helping other businesses build their business. Right. And it's very much applicable to both of those things. You know, it's it's working hard. If you make an error, go get the ball and try again, you know, and, and that's what I love the most about what I'm doing at my job is I don't know, um, you know, Grant referred to business owners as dreamers, right? And I don't know how many dreamers you've ever met who just can't wait to do accounting for their cybersecurity <laughs> business, you know? And so I, I see myself as somebody that can facilitate mm-hmm. the dreaming of other people. Bill? O- outside of sports, were there other things going on in your childhood that uh, that helped prepare you for your current career? A lot of people would think math is an important <laughs> skill. <laughs> Many people do think that, um, but I, I actually find that very little of my day has anything to do with math. Um, you know, in the role that I sit in, you become a very trusted advisor. That's the terminology gets, that gets thrown around. But you know, people don't hold much closer to themselves than their money. And so once people get that level of comfort with you, they start bringing all sorts of things to you that don't have anything to do with money. And so I do find that a lot of my day is spent consulting, talking through transactions, making decisions, and, and helping people get to that next step. So you, you, you have really broad shoulders and a level head. It sounds to me like you're like a business therapist. That's what it feels like. <laughs> uh-huh. Mark, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. So outside of the soccer team, what was your role in your group of social group of friends? It was always a small group. Um, it was not ever a large group, but I did find myself as the the mediator, the consigliere, if you will. You know, I didn't ever really have the desire to be in the front row. Um, mm-hmm. I'd rather be supporting somewhere in the back. So a budding therapist. Th- apparently. I'm <laughs> in the green room, you talked about a lot of your friends going places. Where did you think you were going back then? I don't know that I really knew, to be honest. You know, when I was looking at colleges and thinking about what life would look like, you know, I didn't really have anything specific in mind. Um, I got to, to college and I was good at accounting. My father's a CPA, so I went that route. And, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago if this is what I'd be doing today, I, I'd be very surprised. What inspired you for the second major? This is not very sexy, but it's just the applicability of it. You know, I had I saw a lot of friends doing sports medicine majors and, and sports marketing, and I'm thinking, where are you going with that? And I saw accounting as I and IT is very applicable. Increasing your chances of success, mm-hmm. or you didn't want to fail. Oh, to me, those are kind of the same, but I would go with not failing. I also got the Connie's pretty competitive. You know, she played a whole variety of sp- Oh, boy, she just winked. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not competitive with your siblings. No, not so much. It's more with myself, to be honest. Um, you know, the CPA exam is no small feat. It's the hardest professional exam there is, if you look at the statistics of it. Um, and I will do a lot of things to make sure I never lose my license, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you, given where you are right now, would your sisters recognize you based on who you were? 
growing up? I think so. I think I, I think other people see me in a different light than I ever see myself, um, and I, I don't think they'd be surprised. Your mom had an art business. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from her that you're really using today? That I have no art skills. <laughs> um, but, but how I do are people think benefiting creati- <laughs> from that? <laughs> that I, I think her creativity was is uh, something that's rubbed off on me because it has helped me be able to look at the business of my client and think, well, why don't we try this? Or why don't we go there instead of the black and white of accounting? Interesting. So you're, I see, that's one of the reasons you're attracted to the advisory stuff because mm-hmm. on one hand, you have this ability to organize people and understand where people fit in the team and you have a creative approach toward business solving, business problems. Mm-hmm. Mark? Yeah. Why do people want to work for you? Well, you know, when you have a soccer team, every player on the field has their own role. And the the goal is to find the person that best fits the role and convince them that they want to be on your team. So you hire somebody, you bring somebody in with skills that you don't have and let them run. Uh, Give me that again. You bring somebody, give me that thing about it. You bring somebody in with skills you don't have that complement the service that you're providing and then just let them run with it. Uh huh. That's how you build the team. So you're good at figuring out where people fit on the team, and you're comfortable bringing in people better than you. Oh yeah, they should make me look good too. Should, <laughs> you know? but, but should you be admitting that on the air though that you're not the smartest one on the team? There's, I have no problem with that. Oh, so you're like, oh, that goes back to your leading from behind again. Yeah. So you're not necessarily the one that wants to take the credit. No. So when you're meeting a potential client, you're sort of like trying to figure out who should be on that team to help that client. Absolutely. You know, that's probably one of my favorite parts of meeting new clients is hearing about their businesses, what they're doing, what what their pain points are, and then cataloging through my own brain of my resources and figuring out who I have that would best address the issue at hand because it's not always the same person. Wow. So you're like, you know, you're like the master matchmaker trying to figure out what problems need to be solved and who do you have on the team to solve the problem. What's the website address of this organization, uh, KWC Advisors? It's kwccpa.com. Let me have that one more time. KWCCPA.com. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Richard Penn. And the name of the organization, Richard? Global Fit. And what does Global Fit do? We provide corporate and health plan wellness programs that concentrate in physical activity. And we also provide a reimbursement program that supports all wellness Mm -hmm. programs. Whose idea was this? It was started about uh, 25 years ago by a couple of folks here in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and New York mm-hmm. to build a network of gyms. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And your role in the company is? I'm the CEO and president. What do you like about your job? Well, I like the whole aspect of, of wellness and that we're helping communities uh, improve, that we're keeping the healthy healthy, and uh, that, that's the key point. What's the website address for your organization? Globalfit.com. Globalfit.com. And your name again is? Richard Penn. And your pr- title in the organization? President. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, 
the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that uh, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have, to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Sure, it's bostonbid.com, and, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have, uh, let me have that website address one more Boston time. Bid. Com. It's B A. Give me the spelling on that. B A L L S T O N B I D dot com. Excellent. Your name again is Tina Leone. And the name of the organization is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight. Back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues. Because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Ed Weidenfeld, who's the chairman and founder of an organization known as District Cannabis. Ed, what is District Cannabis? District Cannabis is a brand for cannabis 
for medical purposes licensed in the District of Columbia. And where were you from originally? Maryland. And where were you from originally? Akron, Ohio. And how many brothers and sisters? One sister. And what was going on with you 8 to 14? What happened? The predominant event in my life at that point was I was burned very badly when I was about 10 years old. What happened? I was an aspiring chemist trying to make gunpowder, and I did such a good job Mm -hmm. that there was an explosion in my basement, Mm -hmm. and I ended up in the hospital with multiple plastic surgeries. How young were you? I think about 10 years old. Uh-huh. What did you learn from that experience? I learned Wasn't it about making lemonade out of lemons? I learned that you had no choice in life but to make lemons into lemonade. What do you mean you had no choice? What are you talking about? I was in the hospital for months. I was suffering great pain, multiple surgeries. I could lay there and suffer, or I could find pleasures around me. What kind of pleasures? The companionship of people, the support of books. Alex? So the journey of getting through that six months in the hospital, a year of recovery. Once you finished recovery, what did you focus on as a 12-year-old? First and foremost, I focused on having the most normal life I could, going to camp, playing with friends as much as I was able. What role did the community play in your your healing? The wonderful thing about the Midwest and Akron, Ohio at that time is it's a small community where people know each other, where people support each other, where your stories are known. You felt cared for. That's the word. And how does that what's the What's the word? What do you mean? Cared for. I felt that I was understood and appreciated by my neighbors, family, and friends. And it sounds like you were in tremendous pain after the accident in the hospital and during your recovery. How did you manage the pain? I suffered through it. At that time, knowledge of treating burns and relieving the pain of burns was not very 
sophisticated. I cried a lot. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to become a doctor, is that right? I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to help people. I later became a lawyer because I found I didn't like blood. Mark? <laughs> How did you come to see cannabis as a, as a solution to pain and suffering of others? When I was first diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, I read a study that in a very limited test, Parkinson's seemed to respond to cannabis. And I asked my neurologist what he thought about trying it. He was very skeptical but said, your system is already burdened. If you're going to do cannabis, uh-huh. it's got to be pure. Alex? Ed, in the green room. You started reflecting on all the all the challenges you've overcome, and you shared an amazing life lesson. Um, can you share that with the audience about the life lesson on disability? The life lesson was best said by James Brady, Ronald Reagan's press secretary, who was shot when Hinckley tried to assassinate Reagan and Brady said, in life you play the hand you're dealt as well as you can play it. Wait, what does that mean? What's that all about? It means that out of even disability you can lead a full, satisfying life so you had this terrible accident when you were 10, 11, 12 years old, and then you also found out you have Parkinson's? Is that? Uh, how long have you known you've had Parkinson's? 15 years. Are you enjoying your life? I'm enjoying life tremendously. I work with young people. I am helping people in ways I never imagined. What do you mean? In most of our lives, it's a zero-sum game with winners and losers, particularly with the practice of law, which I love doing, but now, I'm in an enterprise where everybody wins, where we're helping people with pain and diseases. And why is that so satisfying to you? Why is it so meaningful? Where's that come from? I think some of it comes from my 
experience being burned. I think some of it, much of it comes from my family and community. Mm-hmm. Does your early interest in chemistry, is that back in play as well with your new business? I've decided to leave chemistry <laughs> up to the chemists. <laughs> and I have a partner who is a horticulturalist, mm-hmm. and he handles the mm-hmm. chemists. Mark, Alex, what are you guys thinking? So Mm -hmm. when you look back in this venture, what's the biggest impact you want to have that people remember you for, for District Cannabis? When I first got the diagnosis of Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. I realized life is finite and you have to make choices. I wanted the next chapter of my life, this chapter, to be one of contributing in a very tangible way. Mm-hmm. What's the website? What's the, what's the website address of District Cannabis? Do you have a website address? A website up? I'm ashamed All right. that... So they can search on Ed Weidenfeld, who's chairman and founder of District Cannabis here on Executive Leaders Radio. I'd like to thank my co-host Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Alec Bartholomew's People Stretch Solutions, and Bill Buff Stratacom for giving me hand structuring the questions. Hope you're providing a listening audience an educational and entertaining show. Mark, can you give us a read down on the other CEOs we've had on the air today, please? Sure. It's a great show today. Uh, Nini Spivey, Executive Director of the Children's Science Center. Grant Elliott, founder and CEO of Estendio, uh, Connie Hamill, principal of KWC, and Ed Widenfield, chairman and founder of District Cannabis. Excellent. Uh, again, I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Alec Bartholomew, People Search Solutions, and Bill Buff Stratacom for giving me instructional questions. Hope you're providing a listening audience an educational and entertaining show. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. Thank you for joining us today, and do have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.